Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 256. Separate leadership and management. Leadership is inspirational. It's visionary. It changes people's lives. It paints pictures for them of a better life. It's finding someone who doesn't believe in themselves and helping them believe in themselves. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Ryan Grumpfin. Ryan, you better tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I am. I am unstoppable today. Yes, sir. That is what I we're am. going for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for oh, having man. me. Pumped to have you. So Ryan is also known as the restaurant boss. After years of working in the kitchen at numerous restaurants, uh, five-star hotels, James Beard award-winning chefs, and the best hotel year in the world, he is now using his experience to serve as an industry consultant at Authentic Restaurant Concepts. Today, he helps restaurant owners reduce costs and increase profits with efficient strategies. Obviously, that's just a huge, uh, you know, bird's eye view of what you've accomplished and who you are today. Uh, can't wait to learn more, but before I pass it over to really dive into your career, how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away, Ryan. All right. So this is from one of my favorite business coaches in the world that many of you have probably never heard of. His name is Keith Cunningham, and Keith Cunningham is supposedly the rich dad in rich dad, poor dad. There's all kinds of rumors and things, and I've never had the opportunity to actually talk with Keith, but I have heard that him and Kiyosaki were really good friends, and and he was a mentor to Kiyosaki, and then all the shit hit the fan when Kiyosaki was writing the book, and, and he didn't use his name in it. But Keith Cunningham is an incredible business coach, one of my favorite people. I love reading his books. And he says something along the lines of, it's not an exact quote, I'm going to mess it up a little bit, but if every customer you ever touched or every customer who ever came into your restaurant or business, if every customer you ever touched was still a customer, you would not even have time to think about marketing. <laughs> and I think the answer to that, the, the, the core of that quote is pretty obvious, but really dive into it and how that quote echoes or echoes with you and how it just re- resonates with, with what you uh, teach your, your clients. Because everybody wants to move fast. And I think of marketing as like the F-16 or the jet or the fuel that you put on the fire. Everybody wants to market. They want the new thing. You know, everyone's about technology now, online ordering, this and that. They want everything new. They're looking for that new gizmo or that gadget that's going to give them more customers. But what are you doing to take care of the customers that are already there? Yes. If you spend all of your time 
effort, energy, resources, taking care of your current customers, you wouldn't need any technology in your restaurant. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't even need a website. You'd be so busy taking care of your customers that you didn't need to even think about marketing. And I just wish more people focused on operations and let it take care of themselves. You know, the restaurant business is my favorite business in the world because what other business is your busiest day ever going to be the first day you open your doors? <laughs> right? Right? Like when you when you get that. when you get excited and you're like, "Hey man, we're going to open up a tire shop today." And like you you spend a million dollars building a tire shop and putting all these lifts and buying all these tires and you've got a great corner location. And then you call all the radio stations over, right? Like, are you going to have 150 cars lined up for new tires that day? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, you, you, I don't, I can't add anything to that yet. I think you said it perfectly. And I mean, the one thing I would add, uh, just to kind of, you know, extend on to what you already said, just to share a quote from a past guest was from Jeffrey Summers. He said, the best social platform out there is your dining room floor. And uh, it. yeah, it, it. it's it, it just right there with what you're saying goes right there parallel to what you're preaching right now. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I can't help but just think of, uh, you know, like, like I, I am a fan of using technology to give you that side edge or the compound effect, but you should only do it after you've mastered what you're talking about right now um, and made it so you don't have to be there to be the person touching all these tables and to create these you know, incredible experiences to get to the point where you can work on your restaurant, not in your restaurant. Um, that's when you can use technology and other tools to give you that slight edge to put yourself out there. But like you said, you don't need to do those things if you do everything, like the basics, like touching all of your customers and creating those am like amazing experiences in-house. Absolutely. And one of the things that you know, I think people focus on too much, and I'll go back to that like F-16 example because that's the one that um, Keith Cunningham uses in his books is like everybody wants to go so fast with the marketing, but – when you go that fast, when you put all of your eggs in the basket of marketing, one mistake could be failure. Mm. When you have all of your money and all of your resources and everything built on this technology or whatever it is, like in an F-16, I love that example because he says like one mistake is failure. Mm. The only people who can put that kind of resources into marketing are the companies that are huge that have all their other systems in place. So when the hordes of people show up at your restaurant – you're ready to wow them on every visit. So I, I just believe that marketing is something that should be done organically from inside the dining room. I love that quote from Jeffrey Summers because that's it's true. If it happens from inside the restaurant organically, you could keep up with the growth. You can sustain it. I, I, yeah. Anyways, enough on that. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Great way to get the interview started off. I'm pumped up. So I want to learn more about you, kind of the path you took. So give us some like snapshots of uh, how you got into the industry and kind of the path you took to get to where you are today. All right, so <laughs> this is a great story. I was, I was like 13 or 14 years old, and instead of like running home from school to like you know play with my friends or watch whatever like cool thing was on TV at that time, I like ran home from school to watch Food Network, and we're talking <laughs> like old school Food Network, like Emerald Lagasse, like nice. bam, and putting you know the red powder crap all over the sides of the plate, <laughs> which you should never do. Um, but these guys, these were like chefs, right? Emeril Lagasse, Mario Batali, Ming Tsai, 
the two hot tamales, like these people, they were like legit chefs, not like today where the Food Network's like entertainment. Um, so literally, I just kind of, I, I don't know why I fell in love with food and I would watch them on TV and I got really into it and I would cook. And at the time, like we couldn't find a lot of the ingredients that these guys were using. So I would like beg my parents to drive me all around town and we'd have to go to like Chinatown to get some weird spice and we'd have to go here to get some like mexican thing i remember once we were making recipe i needed achiote paste <laughs> and like now i could buy achiote paste in my like grocery store but then i had to go to like downtown la to like some little market to get it but anyways um one day uh andrew dornberg and karen page who wrote a great book called becoming a chef yes. were featured on one of the shows on the food network and total coincidence they were doing a book signing like that night i forget how i heard about it but I ran over in town. I got a book signed from them. I went home. I read that thing cover to cover. And I don't even think to today I've ever read a book like cover to cover in <laughs> any period of time. I listen to books. But I was totally into it. And the one thing the book said is go get an internship and decide if this industry is really right for you. Oh, yeah. Awesome so, so I was totally digging the, the two hot tamales at the time. And they were in Santa Monica. I was in L.A. I literally like knocked on their door one day when they weren't even open and said, can I come spend a couple of days in your kitchen? They opened up the kitchen, let me come in. I was so green that when they asked me to go into the walk-in and get something for them one night, I put a bucket between the walk-in door because I was afraid if it closed, I wouldn't get out. Like you see in all those movies where like people get locked <laughs> in the walk-in. That's how green I was. At least something that made fun of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I think I did it like when no one was looking because I was, I was, it was so, dude, I was That's like, awesome. I was so scared. But, but anyways, well, sorry. No, I was gonna say it's great that you did that. And all the the biggest lesson I've learned after interviewing uh, over two hundred people is get the experience. Don't go rushing to school. Get like find out what it is about the industry you love in the like in the first place. So you even when you get to that point, like you you can focus your education to that you know whether it be focus on baking or uh you know charcuterie whatever it is that you love that you can get the education by working in the industry and surrounding yourself by mentors um if you want to take it to the educational level if you want to go pay for an education that's fine too but make sure you love it before you you invest the, the dollar bills uh that's all i want to say keep on going no and that's exactly what i did i mean at this stage i was 15 years old my mom had to drop yeah. me off there and then <laughs> after that like my time kind of ran out with them i got an internship for the summer at hillcrest country club which is a really nice high-end country club in beverly hills same thing it's super cool if you can imagine 15 year old kid grew up in west la in a nice part of town in, in los angeles and my mom dropping me off at the country club and picking me up after work like if you think i didn't get made fun of in the kitchens <laughs> you have never spent time in a kitchen because i was the little werito the little white boy in the kitchen that everybody's making fun of you know oh mama's got to come pick you up but i didn't care man i had a great time and i ran into some great mentors along the way then i went over to the peninsula hotel which was across the street from the school i went to and same thing i just knocked on the door asked the chef if i could work there for the summer he said sure i worked for him and and i learned a ton working for him i went to johnson and wales because at this point now I had three summers in a kitchen and so I knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Johnson Wales and I really excelled there because I came in with experience. Most mm -hmm. people didn't come in with restaurant experience. I came in with some five-star hotel experience. So I just soaked it up. I knew what I needed to listen to. I knew what I didn't need to pay attention to. Long story short, I won some competition out there, which got me to Dallas. I ended up at the mansion on Turtle Creek working for Dean Fearing, and, and I go back to the peninsula, but whatever. I don't want to bore you. I spend all this time working in these five-star hotels, and I'm burnt out by like 22, 23. Yeah. I'm like, this sucks, man. I'm making like 625 an hour. I'm working like 18-hour days, but only get paid for eight of them. 
I've got burns all over my hand. Like I'm, I'm over this dude. And I'm looking at my chefs, like thinking like these guys work so hard and don't get me wrong. They're great people, amazing people, but they weren't making that much money for how hard they were working. So I took a little break from the industry. I came back to it. I decided I wanted to open up my own restaurant. Uh, let me uh, interrupt real quick. Uh, was yep. this before or after you were managing in, or chefing in general, managing three restaurants at once? Oh, this is before. I'm going to tell you how I got there really okay, quick. Cool. Keep going. <laughs> I'll get there quick. I promise. So <laughs> anyways, I end up um, working. I get out of the five-star world. I get into more everyday restaurants because I wanted to open up my own restaurant. Got you. And um, that's where I realized like, oh my God, what is going on here? I came from this five-star world from these highly successful restaurants where we had systems and procedures in place for everything. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in like more of an everyday restaurant because that's the kind of restaurant I wanted to open. And it's utter chaos. And so, again, through a long story of things of me trying to get a restaurant open, the economy crashing in 08, one of my potential investors, because I, I lost all my money in, the, in that economy, one of my potential investors had a project going where I live now in Santa Maria. And he's like, hey, why don't you come up here and, and help me open up some restaurants? So that's where I ended up here. We opened up four restaurants together in less than nine months. Wow. That was chaos. Again, so many stories and so many lessons to learn there. But eventually, he and I had to break off our partnership and it was at that point that I was like, you know what? People need help, man. People are lost. I was even lost when I went from this five-star world where we had systems and procedures and, and, and processes in place for everything. And then I thought I was all high and mighty judging the other restaurants I was working at. But then when I actually went and tried doing it myself, I was equally as lost. And it wasn't a matter of me not knowing what I needed to do. It was me literally not being able to do it. Mm. What do you mean so, you weren't able to do it? How, what what it was made just, you it was, unable? It was it was t- I didn't know how to manage my time properly. Um, I didn't know what tech what was worth spending time on and what was wasn't worth spending time on. I'm listening to people who don't know what they're talking about, telling me things, and I just kind of had to bunker down and figure out a lot of this myself. Of there wasn't like you say like today there's these great websites and great podcasts and great yeah. people that you could listen to, but I mean even eight nine years ago. That wasn't there. So I had to listen to people like Tony Robbins and Keith Cunningham and Robert Kiyosaki. And I had to read books of. So let's put a a timeline on this real quick so we can just kind of paint the picture. So uh, 2008, you open four restaurants, nine months. How long were you? 2009. So um, at what point, how long were you running and managing these businesses with this this character? About four Uh, years. About four years. So in 2013 is when you kind of had like the you know, the clouds parted and you say, man, I got to do some studying. I got to really figure out, like, I got to go to other industries to learn what it takes to be successful. Is that kind of how it all played out? It was a little bit before it. Well, it, 2009, we get the restaurants open. 2010 was a disastrous year for me. I ended up in the hospital with a hole in my stomach from the oh, stress. Man. Having, having, I've never been to the hospital in my life, never been to emergency room in my life. And just the stress of me spending a year working in these restaurants that were not doing well, doing everything wrong, trying to do it all myself, Literally burnt a hole in my stomach. I've what got was that like, like really take us through how you felt and what that emotion was like for you to, to be working like that to really be just, I mean, were you progressing? Did you feel like you were getting anywhere in life or were you, were you at like a standstill with progress? What was it like? Oh no, it was a disaster. I mean, it was just, you know, my wife, I'm yelling and screaming at my wife at the restaurants. I'm yelling and screaming at her at home. I oh, mean, all man. I just became that person that I hated. Like, the, she- the chefs that used to yell at me, I'm like, what a dick. 
But then here I am, like, I'll never forget one day I grabbed some kid who totally screwed something up. I pulled him in the walk and slammed the door and started screaming at him at the top of my lungs like the chefs used to scream at me. And people in the dining room, I was screaming so loud they were able to hear it. And it was like that was one of the moments when I'm like, what is happening here? Like, who is this person? This is not who I am. I, like, go to Tony Robbins. I'm not supposed to be like this. Like, But it just took over my life. It was utter chaos and disaster. And – yeah, it was a it was a bad place to be. Um, so, but I think it was that night in the hospital when I, I took the next day off work. I'd never in my life taken a day off of work like for being sick. Like I mm-hmm. I didn't care. I showed up, and my doctor was like, "You are not going to work tomorrow." I'm like, "I don't know how the restaurants are even going to open tomorrow if I don't go to work." And my wife kind of figured it out. She made some phone calls. She took care of what she had to. I took the one day off, and I just laid there in bed, like just staring at the ceiling, saying, "What is going to change here?" Like so nothing what, is going to change. Or, sorry. What, yeah. what started to change? Well, it was me. I, I realized like I've got to be the one that changes. I've mm. got to be the one that grows. Yes. I've got to be the one that, that makes the investment. I got to be the one that's going to figure this out. My employees aren't going to do it. And when I say my employees aren't going to do it, it's not because they don't care. It's just, I can't leave my restaurant to my employees. I can't blame any problems I'm having with the kitchen on my chef. I can't blame service problems on my dining room people. Like, it's me. It's my ship. I'm the captain. Mm. So if, if I'm not happy with the food that's going out of the kitchen or if I'm not happy with the amount of money we're spending on food compared to our revenues on our food costs, that's me. Mm. If I'm not happy with the way that the guy's managing the pizza restaurant, that's me. Like mm. whatever was going on, I just realized that that was me. And I just – I put together this massive list of things that needed to change. Mm. Um, and I, I've learned – I've come to learn that's actually a very valuable skill. It's called creating a master capture list. And I just put together this list of everything that needed to change. And then I organized it into priorities. And then I just started chipping away. I'm like, all right, this week we're going to figure out how the, how the fuck to take care of this. Next week we're going to figure out how the fuck to take care of that. Mm-hmm. And we just start checking shit off. So – uh, I mean that. Li- I mean uh, to learn more about that type of list building, check out uh, Eat That Frog. Uh, great resource on how to be uh, better about not procrastinating, and they they go over how to do that kind of a list of listing everything that gets needs to get done, and then prioritizing. And uh, uh, yeah, it's great that you did that. But um, take us more through the emotion of you're laying in the hospital bed. Um, and did you know to make this, is that what your answer was to make a list of everything? Or is it just the fact that you understood that if things are going to change, it's not going to be an outside factor, uh, influencing the change It's going to be internal. It's going to be with me. And then what was the first change you made on yourself? Uh, that if somebody's listening right now saying, yeah, that's me. Like I'm the fuck up. I need to change. Like, where do you, where do you start with yourself? Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's, but where do you start with yourself? Like what's the first step to take? It's a good question. Um, I had done a little bit of personal development prior to this happening. And so I had a little bit of skills already, but really nothing had happened in my life that required me to pull on those skills. So it was all kind of like fun and fluffy and motivational and it all sounded great. But I think I just kind of started to pull on looking back at some of those resources that I had and figuring out that's kind of, I think, where I had this instinct to start making that list. You know, what was the first thing I got? I, I wish I had that list. No one's ever asked me that, and that's a great question. What was the first thing I did? I think the first thing I did was just get control of the kitchen because I was the chef and the general manager of what was called Central City Market at the time. But then I was also the general manager responsible for a candy shop, a pizza restaurant, pizza by the slice restaurant, and a burger, like a greasy spoon burger restaurant. I had managers in all those places, but I think the first thing I had to do was get control of the kitchen, which would free me up 
to then spend a little bit more time managing the four restaurants, which is what really needed to happen. That's and so the first. I, I want to put a real just stop there. Point something out. Uh, what you just share with us is huge, and that's you. You needed to free up time. You recognize that time is your most valuable asset. So, uh, in your restaurant right now, whatever takes up your time, whatever you're, you're devoting most of your time to, if you can find a way to add a system to that, to add a process or procedure, or to duplicate yourself so somebody else can do that to free up your time to move on to the next project, uh, would you agree with that statement, or is there another way you would? do it i would agree with that in the sense of if yes you need to free up time but it's not just a matter of saying what's taking up the most time it's a matter of what's taking up the most time that isn't returning the results for you it's the 80 20 rule yes you know a lot of people want to free up their time so then they there's a big difference between delegating and pawning off responsibility there's a lot of chefs of restaurants that run chef driven concepts they're 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 owners of small chef driven restaurants you should not be outsourcing yourself out of the kitchen. You should mm-hmm. be finding someone to run your business for you because you are the talent. Yes. yes. You are the reason the restaurant exists. So in my case, even though I was a little bit of the talent, the food we were doing didn't require me. It mm-hmm. required me because I didn't have the systems in place. Exactly. I didn't have the recipes documented. I didn't <laughs> we're but gonna it wasn't dive into that by the way. Just yeah. you get ready because I watched your videos. I have notes. <laughs> we're gonna have fun with that. Uh, real quick, just in case somebody's never heard of the eighty twenty principle, Pareto's principle, what is that? So this is actually really cool. I just found out that it was it was discovered because of something about like a tomato farm and he realized like he did something in Italy that like 80% of the farms or 80% of the land, 20% of the land was producing 80% of the produce mm-hmm. of the tomatoes. And so he, I, I just read something about that, but generally speaking, the Pareto principle states that you will get 80% of your results from 20% of your X, mm-hmm. 20% of your people, 20% of your time, 20% of whatever X is. And this rule has over time stood up to almost every industry, yep. almost any every situation. Especially if, the restaurant industry. Yeah. But if you look at like a real estate office, if you if you take a list of a hundred of the real estate agents and then you break down their their production for the last year, almost always you're gonna find that twenty percent of the agents are creating eighty percent of the revenue. Mm-hmm. Almost any business that you look at. So I use this rule, this eighty twenty rule to say to yourself, not what's taking up 80% of your time, but what's taking up 80% of your time and only giving you 20% of the results. Mm -hmm. Let's switch that. Mm -hmm. I want you to be spending 20% of your time to get you 80% of the results. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great. Thank you for diving into that and explaining that further. Uh, I kind of forgot where we were, but if you can remember where you left off before I interrupted. uh, Yeah. We were just talking about like the difference between outsourcing and pawning off responsibilities, and I think a lot or outsource. I use the word outsourcing, and it's to me um, delegating. Uh, delegating because I think there's there's a big difference. I think people get confused. They delegate tasks, they delegate responsibilities, and then there's outsourcing. Outsourcing to me is like I'm done with this shit. Like you take care of this. I want to know every single month, the first of the month, what my food cost is, and that's it. That's outsourcing. Yes. Uh, delegating delegating is like I'm still going to be involved in this process and I'm going to help you along, but there's a big difference. And I think a lot of people outsource, but they outsource to the wrong people. They outsource food costs to a bookkeeper, but their bookkeeper sucks and they still have to stay on top of their bookkeeper. So they're paying outsourcing prices, but they're not even getting delegating results. Mm-hmm. 
So sorry, I, I use those words interchangeably. But anyways, it's a matter of finding out not only where are you spending a lot of your time, but should you be spending your time there or should you be spending it somewhere else? A lot of times, owners that I talk with on a regular basis are spending a lot of time doing things, the things that they should be doing, but also a lot of times owners are spending a lot of time doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So that's one of the services that when I work with people, we kind of figure out like, where are you, what do you love to do and what are you really good at? Mm -hmm. That's where you should be spending your time. You know, that quadrant of shit I'm good at, shit I love to do. Yeah, for sure. And like there's a, People say like we like to try to uh, improve our weaknesses. Where in reality, uh, no. we should know our weaknesses and know our strengths, and focus on improving our strengths to be the best at, at it is of what we do, and delegate what we're not good to those who are better at that than we are. Um, totally. Yes. Double down on double down on your strengths. Yes, absolutely. And I really want to dive into um, some of the re- the things I learned from uh, diving into your website. And uh, you really focus on like the the number one thing, the number one uh, mentality. Uh, mind shift we need to make that will just make a huge uh, like the, the biggest impact on our restaurant and what's that mentality share that with us <sighs> operation focus I think like like I said earlier is it's is that what you're is that is that a good answer is that what yeah, you're looking for I think in a roundabout way yeah I mean I can't remember the exact words you used but essentially what I picked up from you is that we need to focus on uh creating managing systems and uh Yeah that's something I say a lot sorry yeah manage systems develop your talent is yes. maybe a better cliche or or quote there but operations we get so caught up in the restaurant. We get so caught up in playing restaurant. My cook, when I was cooking, we used to always, you know, at five o'clock when the dining room opens, we're like, all right, guys, it's time to play restaurant. Cause that's what we were doing. We were cooks. We were playing restaurant. We were cooking, we were having fun, but we weren't running a business. Mm. And I think so many times owners get confused between playing restaurant and running a business. So I love this. I love this analogy. If I, if can I, can I go here for a second? Yeah, go, go. So if you've got a rifle and you're just like out shooting and you're having fun and you put like a stack of hay 20 yards out with no target on it, you know, yeah, it's fun. You pull the trigger, you hit the hay, you see a little puff of hay go up in the air and you're like, this is cool, right? That's a hobby. That's just having fun shooting guns. But if you're a hunter and you're, you need to bring home some food for the family, you need to put a target out there when you're practicing. Yep. You need to know, am I high, am I low, am I left, am I right? Because if you miss the deer, your family's not going to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, in restaurants, a lot of us are just kind of playing hobby, and we're not doing it on purpose. It's not like they're waking up in the morning and going, let's go play restaurant. <laughs> but we're playing hobby. We're just shooting a rifle at a huge stack of hay. We don't know what's going on in our restaurant. Mm-hmm. We don't know on a daily basis what our food costs, labor costs, beer costs, liquor costs, wine costs – we don't know everything that's going on, so we're just kind of playing restaurant. Yeah, real quick, what's the difference? Um, what do you mean by managing uh, systems and developing people? What do most people do? Most people try to manage people. Okay, and why? I don't. I don't, I don't believe that people are manageable. <laughs> so why should we focus on managing systems and developing people? How do we? Because systems are systems are black and white. They're right or wrong. If you're mm-hmm. if you know anything about software, they're binary. They're ones and zeros. Yep. There's no gray in a system. 
Yeah. And I think you do a really good job at explaining, um, like, basically the mentality we need to have. Uh, in this video, you have quadrants, right? You have four quadrants. In the uh, one quadrant, you have employees. In another quadrant, you have self-employee. Uh, then you have – or self-employed. In another quadrant, you have uh, business. And then in another qu- uh, quadrant, you have um, – what is it? A consultant or an investor investor, right? So what most people do is they are in, like you say in the, by the way, we have to, this, we have to give credit for that to Robert Kiyosaki from the cat. Yes. Yes. It's in his book. Right. Exactly. Uh, in a book I need – I checked out Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I haven't read that book. And after watching that video, I'm really interested in picking up that book. But what we what you describe in this video on your website, uh, therestaurantboss.com, is that most people are seeing themselves as uh, business owners, but in reality, they're self-employed. So what – They're self-employees. Okay. They're self – so ex- explain to me what a self-employee is. Then explain to me what a business owner is. Cool. So I've, I've kind of developed this into something new over the last year or so. It's something I call the restaurant ladder, but it's basically the same idea where you know we all start, like you say, as, as an employee at some point. Then we move – we get frustrated with whatever it is as an employee. So we're like, we're going to own our own business. So we, we go and we open up our own restaurant. But in reality, we're self-employees. We're just employing ourselves. So we have all the stress, struggle, and overwhelm that we had as an employee of not making enough money – always being a victor or always being um, uh, available for someone else's schedule and all the things that we said, that's it. I'm going to go and do my own thing. But then we move and do our own thing and we're always available on someone else's schedule because employees are always calling out sick or customers always want to have parties when we want to have parties with our family. Mm-hmm. We, we have the same stress struggles and overwhelms because we're not paying ourselves as much as we wanted. So and really, all you and all you've still, done is you're still you're just trading. your own boss. Yeah, yeah you're, you're trading time for money. Exactly, and that's I think the big thing that most people don't realize is time is your most inval- valuable asset, right? So, what's the difference between being a self a self employee versus being a business owner? It's simple. Business owners own systems. Yes, and uh, dive into that. Really, I, yeah, I assumed you wanted more. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you giving, know, I'm making you give away your, your good stuff, but this is going to make people like want to rush over my, to your website. It's absolutely my <laughs> pleasure to give away. I don't hold back anything here. So owning a business means that you own a system. It means that you're not an integral part of day-to-day operations. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not a, a major part of the business. I don't want – again, we don't delegate responsibility. We could delegate tasks – but we don't delegate responsibilities. So you're still the business owner. You're still the visionary. You're still the leader. You're still responsible for, for the direction and for the thought and for, for a lot of the major factors. But you're just away from the day-to-day because here's my litmus test. Here's how I define the difference. And this happened early in my career as a consultant. I got asked to go look at a restaurant. It was a bar, a very successful bar in a college town. They were looking to sell. There was three owners that all had three different careers. They were extremely busy, and they wanted to sell because they just didn't have time to run this restaurant anymore. And I said, right now, if you guys put your restaurant on the market, there is only one type of person who could buy this restaurant, and that is someone who knows the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. Because every time that they come in here, they're going to see you here waiting on tables and running the bar and lifting inventory from the basement to the bar, and they – if a doctor – wanted to make an investment in a bar, it would not be this one. But I said, if you guys give me six months or a year to work with you, we could turn this into a business 
and you can sell to anybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so- when you start marketing your bar or your restaurant to real estate investors, to doctors, to lawyers, to any generic business person, because you've got systems in place, because you have a general manager installed, not employed, but you have a general manager installed in your business, you could sell to anyone at a premium because who doesn't want passive income? Mm. Who wants to buy a job? Mm-hmm. And that's now, all they were selling. They were just selling a job. Yeah, and one thing when I talk to people about uh, implementing systems, processes, procedures, they start getting all tense and like squirmy and like the heebie-jeebies because they initially start to think, "I don't want to be. I don't want to sell out. I want to be a corporate. Like I hate that corporate shit. I want to. I'm a organization rest- will set you free. <laughs> exactly. And here's the thing: most likely, you got into the restaurant busy business because there was an aspect of the restaurant business that you loved. But here's the thing: when you own a restaurant, like you say. Whatever it is you loved about you're the industry, you're probably not doing. You're not going to be able to do it because you're going to be too busy doing all the other shit that you forgot didn't like take into consideration. <laughs> so if you really want to do what you love, you've got to create those systems, processes, procedures. You got to create a system dependent restaurant that will free you up. I'm not saying like you know build that like, these systems, processes, and sell it and you know sell out to the man and be a corporate. Set that shit up so you can do what it is that you started the industry for the first place, right? Totally. Um, because and- organization will set you free like Alton Brown says and I love that yes. because when all the other stuff in your business is working you could go play restaurant again <laughs> yeah and it's funny right? and I mean it's so many things or you, you can do what you loved initially in the restaurant uh, whether it be cooking whether it be on the floor touching tables or whether it be you know developing and mentoring youth whatever it is you love right um, but it also gives you the opportunity to automate that portion of your life, right? Because you have this this beast running off systems. You're you're you you know you're managing people, developing people, so you you can automate that portion of your life. And now you can start creating wealth for yourself because you have this massive asset you created for yourself that you can sell. Because a business is an asset, like you said, right? Absolutely, not a liability. Exactly. And can now, I go back? Go, Sorry. please. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to go back to one thing really quick because a lot of people are might have they might have uh, picked up their ear a little bit. It's something I said that people are not manageable. I just want to touch on that really quick. When I say that, obviously management is a billion dollar, God knows how many a year industry where everyone, you know, you can assign colors and letters. And there's even people out there who teach like wild animals, like, like this guy's an elephant and this one's a monkey and this one's a lion. And, and they keep coming up with all these analogies for how to put people into a box. But I don't believe that there are two people out there who could be managed the same. Mm. So that's why I say I don't believe that people can be managed. I believe people can be developed. Mm-hmm. I believe people can be taught how to grow, how to, how to be more, how to be better, how to be more of service, how to be more they hospitable. They can be inspired. That's the thing that I think exactly. is really important is when you inspire people to do the right thing and to be passionate about what you're passionate about. That's when magic starts to happen. Yeah, but I don't believe people can be managed. I think systems systems are managed. People don't like to be managed. People like no, <laughs> no, they, no. Don't micromanage me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, one other thing I just wanted to add on that, that's so significant when it comes to creating a system dependent. Uh, restaurant is uh, when you automate this portion of your life, and I hate to use the word automation sometimes because I feel like it just gives like a negative connotation to like or, to what the restaurant industry is. It shouldn't be. It's a very human thing, you know. Uh, but when you get it running 
without you there. Um, then you can start uh, devoting your time on creating new channels of revenue for yourself, whether it be uh, consulting, moonlighting, or creating uh, a product or service or expanding on uh, other ways to, you know, whether it be focusing on developing, I don't know, um, uh, merchandise for your rest. Like these are all things you can start to do to bring in more channels of revenue or maybe your thing is developing restaurants and concepts. That's what you really love to do. Now you can go do that and, you know, focus on what it is that you love, which is creating things, right? Totally. Or go make a pepper mill in your garage. <laughs> yeah, like, whatever you want to do. Now you can oh, actually I got, do it. I got, wait, wait, I got an idea. Like I just <laughs> spent time with one of my clients yesterday. I'm like, why don't you take the day off of work and go grab your kids out of school and oh, go spend wow. some meaningful time with them? Because Lord knows they ain't learning shit in school. Oh, that's a different so topic. <laughs> go spend some time with your kids, like yeah. one-on-one time, like real time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like look your wife in the or your spouse in the eye and tell them how proud you are of them and how much you love them and how much you appreciate the time that they've put in with you going through this crazy business. Yeah. Go take a day off of work and do that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I first started this podcast, uh, like I, I didn't have a clue. And that's why I started the podcast because I wanted to get a clue and I want to surround myself with these amazing people. But I, I found it funny when I first started, I'd be reaching out to these folks and their assistant would be, you know, respond to me like, oh, Mr. John Smith is on vacation. And I'm like, how the hell is this guy on a restaurant and on vacation for a month? Like, how does that happen? Um, and over time, I've learned that like they've just been so good at, like you say, uh, building system-dependent restaurants and uh, managing systems and developing people. Now, their people that they developed are working in that system that they created, and that's how it's possible. Totally. Um, awesome stuff. We could beat this to death. There's some other things uh, that I really picked up from just watching uh, your work and uh, just soaking in everything you had on your website, and that is um, uh, – okay, here's a good question I would love – uh, you to dive into what happens when managers and owners are unclear with expectations chaos <laughs> when <laughs> managers are unclear of expectations you get you get people who do what they want to do mm-hmm. or they're not necessarily want to in a negative way it's just their interpretation of it common sense there's no such thing as common sense I love that if you have that. ever once in your life said how do you not know how to do this? This is common sense. That's an ignorant statement. And again, I don't mean that negatively, but think about this for a moment. Really, wherever you are driving in your car, close your eyes. Don't really close your eyes. But think about it for a second. Is there such thing as common sense? Maybe because common sense. I'm sorry. So maybe to you, but right. Exactly. What's common to you, but it's not what's common to them because that person that you're talking to grew up in a different house with different parents, with different values, with different situations. They possess different fears. They have different goals. Everything about them is different than you. So how could they derive at the same conclusion as you do unless you have painted that picture so crystal clear that there is no room for interpretation? Mm. Unless that picture is so clear that it is black and white, it is right or wrong, it is done the way that you have envisioned it, the way that you have blood, sweat, and tears and risked your family's livelihood. Mm. Yeah. Until your employees understand your vision that clear and until you have the training systems and the procedures in place for them to execute on your vision, you are going to have chaos. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And uh, listening to you speak, it really reminds me to a really memorable interview I had uh, with uh, Rudy Mick. I don't know if you know that name, but awesome consultant uh, on just culture and leadership. And he says the one piece of advice I have for anybody getting into the restaurant industry on like leadership is painting a picture of perfection. You can't expect anybody to do anything for you until they know what they're aiming for, until they know what the job done right looks like. Um, and that's your job to to create those resources, those tools to show them what perfection looks like. You can't expect them to do it unless you sh- you paint that picture for them. What do you have to say about that? I, I this is so funny. You're touching on everything that I like. I've had a crazy day today with a bunch of clients, but <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about what I call the rule of ten, or it's a ten percent degradation factor. Mm-hmm. And that, that's all complex here. But have you ever played the game of telephone? Yeah, You know, where you whisper something in someone's ear and then by the time it comes around the table, it's a completely different message. Mm-hmm. Well, I call this the rule of 10. I, I say that there's, there's 10% degradation from person to person. So if you're the owner of a restaurant and you're the leader, the visionary in this restaurant, naturally, whatever vision you've painted, no matter how good you are, is going to lose 10% every layer you come down. Mm-hmm. So when you go to your GM no matter how good you are, the best in the world, your GM's only going to absorb 90% of that. That's just not, let's just call that natural. But then it gets worse because then if you have your GM train your new employee on the most important things in your business, the vision, the goals, the direction, the passion, the hospitality, well, they're already 10% below your vision. Then they're going to, they're going to train someone and they're only going to pass 10% less on. So now they're only going to pass 80% on to this person mm-hmm. But that person's only going to absorb 10% less, so they're only going to get 70% of the vision. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps – by the time you get and down so to a cook – And so on. Yeah. By the time you have your average cook training your new cook, most of the time we don't even put our best cooks training our new cook. If we hire a new cook – like in the, in the hotels, we had all these formal titles, you know, like cook one, two, three, four, you know, pantry. So I'll never forget when my first job in the five-star hotel, I was working in the pantry – so the, the, the lowest cook in the kitchen, not necessarily the worst, but the lowest, the newest, the greenest cook is the one training me to replace his job. Does that make sense? Nope. <laughs> let's take our greenest employee and let's have him teach our new employee how to do everything that we want done right in a five-star hotel. Yeah, uh, no. Just think about that for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I totally am picking up what you're putting down right now. And let me ask you, what is the best way to keep your vision clear and to keep that picture of perfection clear? Oh, it has to be painted on an almost daily basis. And where, do ha- you, it, where do you paint it and how do you paint it? Just by in your passion, just by by – Tapping someone on the shoulder and practicing the one-minute management principles. You know, we don't need to get into them today, but just tap someone on the shoulder and say, Steve, you got a second? Yeah. I just want to tell you how awesome you're doing and how proud I am to have you a part of this restaurant. The way that you handled that customer service yesterday is exactly what we're trying to do by making sure that every customer feels special and you really went above and beyond on their birthday. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. Thank you. Awesome. And Say we have two people, right? A manager and a senior employee, and they're butting heads. One says this, the other one says this. How do you? How, is there? A, what do you do to get everybody on the same page to agree on one thing? <laughs> do you have access to my hard drive? I just filmed a video on this last week. <laughs> I don't. It hasn't gone. It hasn't gone live yet. But um, 
All right. So two people who don't have who don't share the same vision. Yeah. Is that kind of what we're getting at? Yeah. Say we're we're, we're plating a dish, and one person says the potatoes oh, go to the left of the. Perfect. The, like, how do you decide what's right? How does who decide the 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 two cooks or the the leader, the chef, the visionary in the restaurant, the owner? How do it's you a, settle take, a, the dispute? Take a picture of how it's supposed to be. <laughs> put the picture in the kitchen, and when yes. two cooks are arguing, go to the notebook. Yes. And if you're in the car right now and you are a kitchen manager, a chef, or an owner of a restaurant, and you say, oh, well, I've got one of those, when was the last time you updated it? Yep. Exactly. The, the point Does is- it still have dishes in it from your <laughs> menu three years ago? Yes. It seems so it seems so like simple and so like it the little the littlest thing is just taking a picture of what per- perfection looks like, whether it be a physical picture that you snap with your phone or a description or a step by step checklist or procedure on how to do something right. You need to take the time to keep the rate this stuff down. Why is that so important? Oh, I'm sorry. Was that rhetorical, or you no. asked me why is that so important? I'm asking you. I, I mean, I oh, because because it, it's a system, because it's black and white, because there's no room for interpretation. Because one employee might think it looks better this way, mm-hmm. one employee might even have a great argument and say the food is easier to eat this way, and that may be a valid argument, and that argument should be made at the right time and place. But as of now, that's not how we do it in this restaurant. Yeah, exactly. And what happens this is over how we do time? It. You get all these different people that are used to working, and like you'll have yep. crews that are used to working with each other, and you'll see on a Tuesday night the food comes out this way, and on a Friday night it comes out like this way, and over time you're just going to drift. Everyone's going to have their own way of doing things. There's going mean, to be no consistency, and uh, it, there's so many reasons why it's worth taking the time to do this stuff. It's the 10% degradation factor too because mm-hmm. if, if employee A – trains employee B. Employee B is only going to do it 10% as well as employee A. Employee A no longer works at the restaurant. Employee B trains employee C only 10% as well as he was trained. Within a matter of months, we know turnover in kitchens. Within a matter of months, one day you know, the owner just gets so fed up because some food came out that's completely wrong from what they wanted. And they go in the kitchen, they yell, and they scream. But this has been happening for four months, but it's only been happening a little bit every day. We just don't have the reset button every morning. You know, when an airplane takes off from Los Angeles and it heads to New York, if they're off by one degree. Oh, and I was a commercial pilot, so I know what happens when that happens. Oh, you're a commercial <laughs> pilot. Okay. They end, up, they end up, I think it was 47 miles away from yeah. their target. Yep. If they're off by one degree. Now, obviously, air, so what do you do? as a, I'm, a pilot, I'm a private pilot. You're a commercial pilot. So what are you always doing? You're always course correcting. Mm-hmm. How much of your flight are you actually on your drawn out flight path? <laughs> Never. It depends on how good you are, but not often. <laughs> no, you're always course correcting. Yeah. You're a little bit right. You're a little bit left. You're a little bit right. You're a little bit left. And then eventually you hit your target. So yeah. you're constantly checking your instruments. If you just set the airplane to New York and then fell asleep without autopilot, you would end up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And that's a great uh, analogy that you're using. And just to, to give you an idea, you're, give you an idea of like the role of a manager or an owner your job is to correct the course your job is to recognize when things shift off center like danny myers talks about in setting the table uh the salt not being in the center of the table your job as the owner is to know where that salt belongs and to constantly correct it and put it back and it's something that really freaking annoying you're gonna hate that you have to every day explain where the salt goes but it's accept it Make your life easier by you know putting these systems and training people, um, but that's your job to to correct the course constantly. Wait a minute, did you just say that your job as a manager is to manage? 
<laughs> Did I say that? That's weird. I don't know. I think you. Said, I think you said that your yeah. job as a manager is to manage. Would you disagree with that? <laughs> That's so interesting. Right? Well, I wouldn't disagree with it, but most uh, managers right. don't manage. Right. Uh, and I don't say that again. I don't. I don't mean to be harsh on people. I just. I, all I'm trying to do here is to use a little sarcasm and a little language to help people realize that maybe what we're doing isn't right. Because I've made all these mistakes, guys, and I don't want it to sound like I'm standing on a soapbox here because I'm not. I've been there. I've made every one of these mistakes. I wasn't managing. I let shit get out of control, and it put me in the hospital. Mm. But a manager's job is to manage, and and you know what? Management sucks. <laughs> it's boring. I'm sorry. It is. It's boring because it's doing the same thing over and over again. When I paint a picture to, to people about what management is, I want you to think back to a hundred years ago on an assembly line when there was a guy with a clipboard walking by making sure that everything that came off the line was perfect and that everyone was standing in the right spot and that the right amount of widgets were coming off the line. That's management. Mm. It's boring and it's tedious, awesome. but that's the job. Absolutely. And this is usually the part of the interview where I ask my guests to share a failure at a time they fell hard on their ass and what they learned from that failure. But I'm going to let you off the hook because I think you got pretty, <laughs> I think we've already talked yeah, about it. <laughs> you got pretty real with us and I don't, we don't need to dive back into that again. And it was a great example of a failure. But I will ask you, and you're going to really hate me after this interview because I'm asking you all this, the, the good stuff. I Bring went it through, on. Yeah. What is the one number you need to know in your restaurant? And I think I know the answer because uh, yeah, I mean it's it, I still get into fights with people about it, but it's definitely prime cost. Prime cost. Uh, uh, well, you go into that real quick, and then I'll share you the one number that I learned from Mike and Nino okay. that he shared with me. But you go first. I'm probably not going to disagree because it's so hard to say <laughs> the one. Number. But the reason I like prime cost is it kind of first of all it's it's all of your controllables in your restaurant, so it's total cost of goods sold plus total labor. If there's any confusion. Total cost of goods sold is not your food cost, your beverage cost, your beer cost. It's all of those together. Mm-hmm. So it's total cost of goods sold plus total labor. And if there's any confusion on labor, that's taxes, benefits, and insurance. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people tell me that my labor cost is great. I've got a 23% labor cost, but they're not including taxes, benefits, and insurance. So once we have those two numbers together, we have what's called prime cost. And that's all the controllables in your restaurant. So the reason I think it's one of the most important numbers, if not the most important number, is because one – a lot of people like to compare their food costs to their friends' food costs. But some people put food in different categories. Like some people put sodas in food. Some people put sodas in non-alcoholic bev. So it's really hard to ever compare, and you should never compare. But if you had to compare – oh, I missed one thing too. Also, there, food cost or a cost of goods sold and labor costs generally run inverse to each other, meaning a fast food restaurant – people generally think that fast food restaurants should have these really, really, really low food costs right? because the food's so crappy. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they actually have really high food costs because they buy everything already prepared, but their labor costs are incredibly low. I mean look at – a McDonald's could serve three or 400 people an hour on minimum wage labor with two cooks in the kitchen. Mm. So their labor cost is extremely low. Their food cost is high. When we were running – when I was in the peninsula in five-star, five-diamond restaurants, we had extraordinarily low food costs, 27 28% food cost. But our labor was so high. Think about a wedding cake, right? Like how much does it cost to make a wedding cake? I mean it's flour, butter, and sugar. It's nothing. <laughs> Maybe $10 to make a wedding cake that's going to serve 200 people, $20 – 
But what about the labor? My God, it takes 30, 40 hours of a highly skilled $80,000 a year pastry chef to make that cake. Exactly. So I think prime cost is most important because one, it's all of your controllables lumped into one number. It's also um, if you had to set an industry standard for a number, we could almost set a standard for prime cost that you should be at 60% or below. There's a few exceptions above that, usually like hotels that have a restaurant that's more of a, I don't want to say a loss leader, but a lot of times like hotel restaurants or country club restaurants, you need to stay open a few hours extra. You need to have a few extra people on your staff because people are paying to stay in the hotel. Mm -hmm. So there's things that you do differently. But generally speaking, you can almost look at your prime cost and know, am I doing well or am I not doing well compared to industry? But you can't look at your food cost and just say, well, my food cost is 32%. That sucks. Mm -hmm. The restaurant that I told you about earlier that ended up selling for a lot more money because I worked with them and we, we ended up turning it into more of a business Mm -hmm. is a bar. Don't get me wrong, but they had a 54% food cost and they are making money hand over fist. So don't get caught up in the number. Okay. Awesome. That was a great little, uh, riff you went on there and very educational and, uh, the the one number that Mike Canino says you need to know, and I was really kind of curious if you were going to come out and say the same thing because uh, of the way he pitched it, was um, at the end of every shift, you should ask your team on a scale from 1 to 10, uh, how would you rate today on a scale from <laughs> 1 to 10? <laughs> and that's how – no, but his, his – <laughs> and the, th- the reason why is because as you see that number going down, first of all, you can – culture is so important, right? And the, if you have that culture and you're constantly just gauging the culture in your restaurant, when you see that number going down, it's a red flag. You get in there and your goal as a manager is to keep that number, you know, nine, eight, ten. Um, and what happens if you start seeing that number going down is uh, people aren't happy. Uh, people are quitting. When people are quitting, you're, you're, you're overworking your staff because people have to cover shifts. And then, uh, you know, they're not happy to be there. And if they're not happy to be there, the service is going to go down. And if the service goes down, the guests go away. I mean, it makes sense. Um, but those are the those are two examples of the the one numbers uh, you need to focus on. And I uh, invite you to pay attention to both those numbers. And, and I'll uh, I'll yeah. concede I'll concede victory to that for <laughs> for creativity. Uh, I can't own it. That was from Mike Canino. No, I know mine. Mine was mine was a cliche number that everybody probably <laughs> already knows is important. But that is that is a great. Great, great question. Awesome. Great. So um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I just lost track of time. I can't believe we're already at like 50 minutes, a little over 50 minutes. Uh, We're going to be back for the speed round just after we say thank you to our sponsors. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. So we're back in the first 
question I have for you, Ryan. What is your it factor? A, a habit, a trait, a characteristic, something you believe most contributes to your success? I'm going to go cliche on this. Totally. But failure is not an option. <laughs> and, and I know that's cliche and I know that's so easy to say. But you just have to keep working mm. until it works. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of that is a mind frame, like a, a, a state of mind too. Like, cause you failed, like you had your hiccups, but you didn't let it stop you. And I think it's that, like, is it a failure or is it a lesson learned? Is it absolutely? Yeah. And, um, do you want to add anything onto that? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a great book failing forward by John Maxwell. If, if this is something that you feel that you struggle with, but I, 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 I like to tell stories in the first Tony Robbins event I went to, I was just about to get married. I was just about to open up my restaurant. It was early 2008, so things were great. You guys remember that? <laughs> like when we had money in right. the stock market and yeah. everything was great in early 2008? No, I never remember and, that. I never had money. Oh, <laughs> I totally remember it. Like I had money. It Weird. was the craziest thing in the world, I know. But anyways, I'm at a Tony Robbins event, and, and after his like – it takes him like four hours just to introduce himself to say like, hi, I'm Tony Robbins. He like goes around and asks questions. He's like, who here is absolutely scared of something massive that's about to change in their life and everyone raises their hand and he calls on me and i'm like oh my god like i get to talk because tony robbins <laughs> is known for these like two-hour interventions where he like brings yeah. you up on stage and for people who, if you don't know tony robbins whether you're a fan or not he charges a million dollars to work with someone one-on-one -on -one. he has a convention that every year in like fort lauderdale or something where it's like a room of like thousands and thousands of people and each ticket's a $5,000. I've spent way more than that. <laughs> I, I have spent $10,000 to spend time with Tony, in, in a, at an event for Tony Robbins, or not with him one-on-one, -on -one, but at one of his events. But the point is, I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to get to spend time with Tony Robbins on his stage. <laughs> and he asked me, and usually this is what he does. He'll ask what's going on, and then if he feels that it's something worth intervening in, then he'll bring you up on stage, and he'll work on you for like ever. And he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, you know, I'm about to open up a restaurant and invest all my money into it. He's like, and what happens if it fails? I'm like, well, then, you know, I'll pick myself up and get a job and do what I have to do and do it again. He's like, what else is going on? I'm like, I'm about to get married. He's like, are you scared? I'm like, yeah, I'm totally scared. What are you scared of? I'm like, I might not be the best husband and, you know, I'm just nervous and, and all. And he's like, and what if you're not the best husband? I'm like, well, then I'll just keep working on her. And he's like, dude, you've read too much of my shit. There's nothing I can do to help you. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I'm like, dude, let's work on this. Like, I, I'm like, dude, come on. I spent money to be here. But that was such a powerful lesson because there was nothing he could do to help me. <laughs> well, because good... I said everything I needed to say, which yeah. was, if it doesn't work, I'll just keep trying again. Absolutely. I love it. Great lesson to be taken away there. So what's your biggest weakness? Me? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Ah, my biggest weakness is just the other side of me, that other voice in my head that, that when one voice in my head is telling me that whatever, who cares if you fail, you can do this. It doesn't matter how hard it is. You're going to put in the effort. If you've got one thing that other people don't, it's that you're going to just work harder at it. Mm. But then there's that other side of my voice that says, no, you're not good enough. You're not enough. You don't deserve this. You can't do that. Look at how far ahead everyone else is of you. You're never going to catch up to them. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's balancing that. It's yeah. getting that other voice in my head to just shut up. <laughs> 
Awesome. That's and, my biggest weakness. And real quick, uh, if you guys don't have $5,000 to go to a Tony Robbins event, uh, I know recently Netflix. Uh, oh, I'm not your guru. Yeah, there's a documentary that's come out in the past couple months that was worth checking out. Um, you know, if you want to check out his work and maybe if you're on the fence, if you want to, you know, pick up one of his books. But yeah, check that out. That documentary is pretty good. So um, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Understand the difference between leadership and management. What's the difference between leadership and management? Management is day by day, task by task, project by project. Management has a definable result. Management, is it done right or is it not done right? Leadership is totally an intangible. Leadership is vision. It's, it's inspiration. It's, it's so much bigger. It's, in, it's, it's inspiring people. And I think leaders get confused not great leaders, but uh, people who are trying to lead get confused between leading and managing, and they try to merge the two of them together. I mean, heck, even categories like when you're on a podcast, it's like leadership and management. Mm-hmm. They're grouped together a lot of times, but they're not. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's all these books of the six steps to leadership and the three steps to leadership and the 101 irrefutable laws of leadership. And those are all great books. But to me, let's just start at a bigger level. Let's start at a higher level separate leadership and management. Leadership is inspirational. It's visionary. It changes people's lives. It paints pictures for them of a better life. It's finding someone who doesn't believe in themselves and helping them believe in themselves. Yes, I dig it, man. Awesome stuff. So what's one question you ask or thing you look for during an interview? Um, the smile. Why is that so? I always say I hire I hire the smile because I don't believe that you can manage people, so they're going to fall into a system. Mm -hmm. But is this the kind of person that I want to spend eight or ten hours a day with? Is this the kind of person? Not do we share the same like? Can we talk about golf or not? Like, is this the kind of person? Are they happy? Do they smile? Do they bring? Do they make my life better? Are they bringing joy? into the workplace or are they bringing disaster into the workplace? You know, for those of you who have those employees who there's always chaos in their lives, right? The tire is always flat. They, the timing belt always breaks. Their car never starts. Those people breed chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is not a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> they are chaotic people. There are things that they are ignoring in their life that cause chaos. They don't bring joy. Work with people who bring joy. If yes. you don't bring joy and a smile and a zest for life and passion and wanting to be better and wanting to make others better, I don't care how good you are at yes. what you do. You know the easiest way to make $100? I think I used to know this. Go for it. <laughs> I don't know if this is an actual joke, but uh, if you bet somebody that you can make anybody in the room smile without saying anything uh, – Oh yeah, yeah. Just uh, just just yeah. smile at them. Just smile at them. That's right. And, it's and, and they will smile, and that's the power of smiling. Because uh, if you just take the time to really smile, not just like smirk, but smile with your eyes, smile with your entire face. Uh, it, you just for even if it's for a split second, you can pick somebody up, and they will smile back. And the the act of smiling releases 
uh, chemicals and it, yep. it, it will make you feel better. And it's such a simple thing. Just smile. It's so powerful. Uh, what it is. It takes more, it takes more muscles and more calories to smile than do almost anything else in your body. Awesome. Great stuff. So what uh, are some current challenges that you see maybe some of your clients dealing with and how are you helping them deal with those challenges? Time, time, all my clients, time, time management. It's, it's just, it's their biggest challenge. No question about it. Um, how are you helping them deal with that? How are you helping them get more time in their life? Let me give some tactical advice here because most of what we've talked about is very high level kind of theory stuff here, but tactically do some research on something called time blocking. Mm-hmm. You can look at the Pomodoro method or just Google time blocking or come to the restaurantboss.com and spend time with me. <laughs> but um, time blocking is a process that is very, very effective for getting a lot of things done. You know, you go back to reading how to eat, or I forget the book that you just said, um, how to eat a frog. Um, you know, all you, you know, you make lists and then you break your list down from, from vision to goals to projects to tasks to action items. And that's very tactical work. And but once you have action items, you can actually you can put an action item into your schedule, into a block of time. Most people put goals and visions into their into their um, calendars. Like um, you know, I'm gonna write a book today. I'm gonna write a book. Mm. So they just put like work book writing, book. Yeah. work on book. But what the heck does that mean? What How do chapter? you get work on book done in – yeah, like what, what – are you going to do the outline for chapter one in this one hour yeah. or are you going to lay out the cover of your book in this hour? What are you going to do in this hour? And obviously there's so much more, but just look up – do some research on time blocking. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of the whole like goal thing. Like are your goals smart? And it's uh, one of those things is specific. Like, what are you working on? Like, uh, maybe I'm using a bad example, but no, smart, smart, simple, measurable, actionable, um, whatever, whatever, whatever. So, yeah, but yeah, specific, don't don't specific. just look at the big thing, but like look at the specifics and like and break those big goals into small goals, so you can uh, like how do you eat a big frog? Is one of the things he talks about in that book, and it's like you know get this big disgusting bullfrog sitting in front of you, like you can't fit that thing in your mouth, but and you don't want to think about it, but how do you do it? Just one small bite, one at, bite at a time. time. And you just yep. get it done. Awesome stuff. So um, what is one thing besides food that you or one of your clients is doing really well in their restaurants? Man, I have a client who I learn from every time I talk with him because he is crushing it right. with systems. Nice. I mean, just it's unreal. The systems <laughs> that this guy has in place. It's ridiculous. I don't think we need to dive any deeper. Into no, why that's no. it's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, and, and you know what? He's got one restaurant and he makes so much money. It's sickening. Oh man. Uh, man. Now but it's make... because it's so organized. It, there, it's, uh, I can't, we can't emphasize it enough guys. If you, if you can make your business, even if it is systematized, can it be more systematized? Can you, can you add that structure even more and it seems like you don't need to make it restrictive but you definitely need to make it your business dependent on systems for sure uh what is one book that's a must read uh to you know for anybody who's just looking to be a better person or, or better restaurant owner uh right now i'm reading a book called business brilliant and i'm in love with it what's one lesson from that book follow the money <laughs> <laughs> there are so many lessons in this book but he does this he, – he basically – I'll give you a quick overview. He, he did uh, – he put together a bunch of questions and surveyed 
um, middle middle income people, uh, high income earners like one to three million dollars a year, and then really high income earners like above thirty million dollars a year, and asked them all the same questions, and then compiled his results, and then found stories to support. But the way that the the high high income earners answered these questions compared to the way that the average and even some of the middle well, middle income, which is still high income, like one to three million dollars a year, staggeringly different. What's the biggest the mindset? Just the way like it's, I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with one specific example, other than like he keeps saying this follow the money of how like. Bill Gates. I don't want to get into it. It's a super long story. Just read the. It's. I can't get into it more than, in less than like twenty minutes. It's is a it great. On, book. Is it on audio? Totally. Come on. You uh, think I would read a book? <laughs> Head over to audibletrial.com/unstoppable. If you haven't yet, uh, you know, adopted the habit of audiobooks. It's been a, like I've read over fifty books in the past two years, and before that point, I think like just like Ryan, I maybe finished one book cover to cover. It will change your life. Uh, and I love. I love Audible, by oh, the way. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that out there. I love Audible. <laughs> it will change your life. Stop whatever you're doing right now. And uh, yes, I am affiliated with Audible. I will get $15 if you use my links, but I'm not doing this to make $15. I'm doing it because I truly believe it will change your life. So what is one piece of technology uh, you've adopted in a restaurant, your restaurant or one of your clients' restaurants that uh, has really just influenced their operations in a positive way that you'd like to share with us? At the risk of sounding like this, I have to make a shameless plug because I'm so <laughs> excited about this. I've been working on this for so long. I just am in like the final stages of testing some new software that I'm releasing out to the market. Uh, I've got about 20 restaurants using it right now. By the time this podcast is published, it'll probably be live or or you'll be able to come to my website, therestaurantboss.com slash software and get more information or pre-register. But it's so simple, the software. It's so easy to use, and it is literally changing the way that people are measuring their finances in the restaurant because it's so simple. For the first time, get a food cost without taking inventory, an accurate food cost, accurate beer, wine, liquor, manage your labor. It is so easy and so affordable. The, the, there is great restaurant software out there right now, like restaurant management cost control software. But it's been so complicated and so expensive. I just finally, like eight months ago, I was like, I can't, I can't keep recommending this stuff to my clients. <laughs> so I just hired a couple software developers, and we've been building it ourselves. Awesome. And uh, what's the the link for that again? One more time. Therestaurantboss.com slash software. All right, I'll have that link in the show notes. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash two. 56 you'll find it right there and uh you also have been contributing to a really great resource uh that's yeah. how i discovered you want to talk about that real quick tipsy yeah excuse oh excuse me <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that you're fine um yeah tipsy is awesome so i got the privilege of filming two courses for them um up in canada it was so much fun to work with those guys and they're so passionate about helping um all hospitality, not just restaurants, but hotels and bars and coffee shops and cafes and, and catering businesses. And there's some great uh, resources on there, whether you go through one of my courses or go through some other people's courses. But what a fantastic resource. They're really – and great people. So yeah, much fun. So absolutely. much fun. And that's how I found you. Um, 
those folks uh, reached out to me and they said we're creating this really cool resource. They're like, oh, we want to sponsor the show. And I'm like, yo, 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 hold on. Not, <laughs> not anybody can get on the Restaurant Unstoppable platform. And I started diving into their courses. Uh, that's, you were on there. I thought you had incredible advice. Uh, that's how I found David Hayden. He was my last guest. He was on. He was amazing. Uh, blew me away. Mike Ganino, the, the gentleman I quoted earlier, is on there. Uh, uh, David or Dennington, uh, uh, something Dennington's on. Like, basically, a lot of the people I already had on the show we're on the platform uh, educating and I love what they're doing it's a lot of what I believe in is just like you know crowdsourcing getting passionate people uh, to you know uh, successful smart people teach you and train your staff and it's uh, a great resource you want to add anything to that no I think we covered it they're awesome yeah Yeah, they're great check it out check it out great tool (laughs) and uh, with all the knowledge you have now if you could go back in time uh, say you're laying uh, um, let's go even further back in time. You're uh, about to go to culinary school. If you could give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be and why? Learn business. Mm. <laughs> it took me a long time to learn. I was so focused on restaurant mm-hmm. that I forgot that restaurants are a business. Absolutely. And I, I would I, – look, you need to be good at restaurants. You need to be hospitable and you need to know wine and beer and food and whatever it is that you're doing. And you have to be great at that, but it's still a business. And have you ever noticed that really successful business people, whatever business they go into, they're successful at? It doesn't matter what widget they're selling. Restaurants, our widget is just food. Our widget is experiences. Mm. We forget that. Absolutely. We create experiences for people. That's our widget. That's what we sell. But at the end of the day, it's a business. You got it, man. Awesome stuff. And if there's one question I could have asked you, Ryan, that you think would have brought more value to this interview, what would it have been? Man, I think we did a pretty good job <laughs> you here. Were awesome. um, you were a great guest, man. You really were. Yeah, I don't know. One more question you could ask me. One more thing I'd probably want to share. I think it's pa- uh, passion. I don't know. I mean... You guys could tell here we're both pretty passionate people about what we do. I could I could talk about – we could keep this interview going for six more hours oh, and man. I wouldn't need to take a break. I, I wouldn't need, get tired. <laughs> I need to like really constrain myself and like really like look yeah. at the clock and go, oh, Eric, you got to wrap this up. We're already at an hour and 12 minutes, but it's been worth every second because you've just been dropping bombs of knowledge on us, Ryan. It's been a blast. And let the folks at home know how they can connect with you if they want to – uh, check out your software or maybe uh, get you as a coach or maybe just pick up the conversation and uh, follow the work you do. Yeah. So the restaurant boss.com is the best place from there. You can find all my social media links. Uh, I'm a restaurant guy, so I wasn't the best in the world when I set all this up. So some of my social media links are the restaurant boss. Some of them are Ryan Gromfin, but just head to the restaurant boss.com. Uh, from there, you'll be able to find, I've got a free video course. I've got all kinds of, uh, you know, free PDFs and guides and I mean, videos galore, all free, um, you know, so check it out and, you know, shoot me an email, Ryan at the restaurant boss.com. Oh my God. I can't believe I just gave that out, but no, seriously, I reply to every single email. Um, so shoot me an email, ask me a question. The only thing I ask is if you are going to email me and ask me a question, can you, can you make it something specific where I could actually answer it for you? I just, it's really hard when I get questions like, I want to open up a restaurant. What should I do? Or like, what kind of restaurant should I open? (laughs) Like, I I appreciate that, but I mean, how am I supposed to answer that? So like, if you have a serious question that you're struggling with, please send that to me. I would love to help with that. 
or all over my website under any video or comment sections. Put it in any comment section and I'll get back to you. Awesome. Again, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 256. You'll find that email there. You'll find the links to his website there. You'll find the links to the books and resources we recommended today all right there. And before we wrap it up, I ask my guests to call somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? If you can't just think of one, I'll let you give me a couple uh, that you just admire and think would be great guest mentors on the show like you are for us today. He's not a – well, Bill Bracken. Uh, Bill Bracken is the first chef I worked for at the Peninsula Hotel, and he is running a nonprofit now called Bracken's Kitchen where he is helping to take all of the leftover food from restaurants and hotels and uh, repurpose it. So he's got a food truck. He drives around. He grabs the food. He turns it into meals for – for families and children and things that need it. And he is doing incredible work. And I learned so much. He is an incredible, incredible man. His name is Bill Bracken. Bill Bracken, look out, brother. I'm coming after you. Can't wait to get you on the show. I'd love it if you join me. And that is it for today. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as a guest mentor. There is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thank you, man. This was <laughs> this was so much fun, and I appreciate I, everyone out there listening. And um, yeah, just awesome. Thank you. You were amazing. Thanks again for joining us. Cheers. I don't think there's any secret what I loved about today's episode. First and foremost. Another episode with just amazing energy and passion. Ryan, dude, you got it, man. Uh, I love it when my guests match me or exceed me on the energy level, and you are definitely one of those people. Uh, two episodes in a row now. Awesome. Uh, but one of the biggest messages I think today, I think everyone will agree, is that we need to take the time to set those systems up in our restaurant. I think the saying goes, uh, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when are you going to have time to do it right again? Or something along those lines. But really take the time. I mean, Ryan put himself in the hospital because he was you know, GMing three restaurants and running around like a crazy man. And just, you know, it doesn't need to be that way. Like, like he says, there's a difference between a business and a restaurant. Create a business for yourself. Create an asset for yourself. Uh, make yourself or do yourself a favor and just make your life a little bit easier. Great message today. Great lesson. And like always, guys, please, please, please shoot me an email. If you're enjoying the show and uh, you want to maybe recommend a guest or just uh, tell me what you have for ideas or suggestions or just if you want to connect, you shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Love those emails. And also, there's a, a quick link at the website. If you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com, look for the on the sidebar, the right sidebar. There's a one-on-one chat to schedule a one-on-one chat with me. Uh, if you just want to chat, if you, if you want to do some brainstorming, maybe you need some inspiration, maybe you want a direction to be pointed in, maybe you're interested in a product or service that's been recommended on the show, maybe I can help uh, connect you with somebody who's been on the show. These are some of the things I can help you with, and I love those phone calls. I love connecting with my listeners. I love to serve you, uh, so take advantage of that. And then lastly, those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Keep them coming. Uh, those help so much with just you know, just that, that social proof. It just does so much to, to get that podcast to the very top. So if you've left one, thank you. If you haven't left one, it's not too late. Uh, five-star review, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, 
I love those, and thank you in advance. All right, guys, that's all I have today. Until next time, peace out.